Reborn in the USA, an Englishman's love letter to his chosen home, is the new number one New York Times bestseller from Roger Bennett. Rogers one half are the celebrated Men in Blazers duo. The longtime culture and soccer commentator traces the origins of his love affair with America in the book and how he went from a depraved, pimply faced Jewish boy in 1980s Liverpool to become the quintessential Englishman in New York. I'm Gregory Day, you're listening to the Portland Podcast. Next week, we're going to be chatting with actor Flula Borg, who portrays Javelin in The Suicide Squad, now available streaming on HBO Max. But more now from Roger on how he began working on the biography during the pandemic. It was uh, written at the time when New York City, where I live, had locked down. It was a city that I dreamed of moving to from the earliest days as a kid I had the stars and stripes and the Statue of Liberty um, and the Manhattan skyline painted onto my bedroom wall. And at <laughs> night, I dream of one day moving there and made good on that, which is really the journey of a lifetime. Right. Um, but during during COVID, when the pandemic struck, uh, the city shut down, sports shut down. Uh, it was a time of darkness. So in the present, a challenge, I retreated into the past and tried to work out every step of the way of how I'd fallen in love with this nation and told myself I was an American trapped in an English boy's body. <laughs> well, I appreciate the timeline, too, to open the book, and uh, I'm glad that Moonlighting finally got its due in print. Yes, indeed. I mean, the book tells of how I grew up in Liverpool, England, one of the great cities in the world, out there with Portland as a football, soccer-loving uh, city, uh, but it was a time of great economic duress. The, the north of England was falling apart. The pits were closing. The steel mills, the cotton mills. If you've seen Billy Elliot, then you kind of get the picture. Um, and Liverpool was a place of challenge, high unemployment, heroin epidemic, a real uh, dark place at the time. And I survived by inhaling Fantasy Island, Heart to Heart, The Love Boat, Miami Vice. The Chicago yes. Bears run DMC, and you, right. pick moon, you, you pick Moonlighting. I mean, a show that's fallen off the radar. Totally. Gave the, world Bruce, gave the world Bruce Willis as a man who, while not always the best dressed, used mm -hmm. his mouth as a fire hose to make his dreams real. And that, as a kid, I was like, I want to be that bloke. Right, absolutely. And uh, you, you chronicle in the story having to actually uh, campaign for Margaret Thatcher during this period, which was a tough sell in Liverpool in those days. Yeah, I hated her. Could not stand her. She was the woman who had destroyed really the north of England. She made the south rise again as a financial centre. Uh, the, the miners were on strike. You know, we all wore miners, uh, miners power stickers on our school blazers. Mm -hmm. And Liverpool was a deeply socialist. Even what Liverpool even tried to become a republic, a socialist republic, and seed for the rest of England when I was a kid. And the mm. one conservative who adored Mrs. Thatcher happened to be my dad, who was a judge, a law and order <laughs> bloke. And I, he would meet me when I was a kid, go and campaign um, for Margaret Thatcher, which was, I mean, just a futile, uh, ridiculous, awful thing to do. It was a little, little, little bit like walking into a lion's den with a similar result, and it was a, it was really a human darkness. I really appreciate the timeline because it really takes me back to that era in the UK. It begins somewhat comically with a story about your great grandfather Harris, who went on a boat from Russia 
believing that he was setting sail for the United States, but ended up in Liverpool of all places. So that's that's yeah, how that, it begins. That's, that's a human darkness. He was a butcher. He wanted to move to Chicago, the hog capital of the world. And he left Eastern Europe, like thousands of people, headed for America, the promised mm. land. And yeah. that boat docked yeah. in Liverpool to refuel. And he saw the one tall building on the Liverpool skyline and <laughs> thought, he was at, thought he was in New York City. He got off the boat at the wrong stop. And so we were stranded in Liverpool. And every time something awful happened, my grandfather, who is obviously Harris's son, mm-hmm. he'd say to me, he'd say, we should have lived there. We mm. should have lived in Chicago. And when you have that story, you do feel like you're American rather than English. And that's what really set off this journey to move here. As soon as I could, I got out and moved to America and then became an American citizen. And ahead of Independence Day, ahead of July 4th, just wanted to tell this story, which is something I never take for granted. Yes, and it feels like destiny. It feels like your own personal John Hughes film, who you reference a lot in this book. <laughs> and I get all the references. I know a lot of the dialogue from Breakfast Club. You know, I actually had a, a chance to interview Molly Ringwald at one point, but a publicist wanted me to give the questions beforehand, and that put me off. But I, I missed my opportunity, like you did with Walter Payton, getting your picture taken with Walter Payton when you visited Chicago. Man, the Chicago Bears. The NFL started to be broadcast in the early 80s. That's right. I remember Channel 4. Yeah, it was unbelievable. And um, you you remember what English soccer football was like back then. It was pretty hardy, ruddy stuff. Mud. We had mud on the pitch. Yeah, there was. Do you remember mud? Yeah, I mean, the pitches were (laughs) hilarious. There was about as much grass on the pitch as there is hair on my head. And these, you know, you'd go and you'd watch other fans fight other fans, and it was a human darkness. And the NFL crashed onto our screens, and it was mesmerizing just the joy, the excitement, the kick return. Billy White Shoes Johnson doing the funky chicken. It was, it was mind blowing. And the Chicago Bears, you know, this team, Chicago, I should have lived there, but also a team who for 20 years have been so unbelievably self sabotagingly crap were able to redefine their own past, become swaggering, Mm -hmm. trash-talking, just biblically smiting one opponent after another. And as a kid, I watched it. I was like, oh, my God, they can change their future by just redefining themselves. I want to do that, too. And I had the joy of moving to Chicago. I was in Chicago for one month as a fifth. But I spent it in the northern suburbs. And while I was there, met Walter Payton, met William Refrigerator Perry, and the words they whispered into my ear, which is I've only since discovered that every athlete says it to a silly kid when they come up to them, which was, dream big dreams, kid. You can do it. I did it. You do it too. I was like, oh, my God, I'm going to move to America. Walter Payton, William Perry, they've told me to move here. And that's when I uh, realized I needed to set sail. God, that was so funny. I love that little footnote there. People should really review those those footnotes because there's a great one with Philip Michael <laughs> Thomas, who was mailed pubic hairs by fans. Pubic hairs. This actually happened. Yeah, well, you watch Miami Vice, and it only is about um, narco busts and fighting drug cartels on the surface, like Animal Farm is only on the surface about horses and pigs. Uh, just below the surface, it's really a show. It's clearly intentionally created to teach deeply uh, low on confidence young kids how to swagger 
and about the ways of life and truly become a grown-up. And you watch Don Johnson, you watch Philip Michael Thomas, these two gentlemen who just were always singular, true to themselves. Whenever they'd go on a drug bust, everybody else was strapping on the Kevlar and the, and the helmets. They were like, no, 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 no. We're going in wearing pastels. We're not going to wear socks and we're going to wear a spad reels. And again, 15-year-old me watched that and was like, oh, my God, mm -hmm. the secret to life is to find a singular style. Don't care what anybody else says about it. Wear periwinkle and teal if you want to wear periwinkle and teal. But always, always be true to yourself. Right. Always be true to yourself. Uh, the Fridge Perry, wise words from him. And I got to tell you, I, I really enjoyed your stories of romance. And there's a beautiful sentence at the end of chapter 23, the end is the beginning, when you're talking about connecting with Casey in the United States of America and uh, the way you felt right at that moment, you could flown home and back again without a plane. That's a beautiful, poetic way to describe early romance of your, what, early teens. So I really enjoyed that. I really enjoyed Thank that. You. And, and it was Thank unexpected you. in a book like this generous human being and that so that was really the capper to the summer that i spent in highland park glencoe the northern suburbs of chicago mm -hmm. as a 15 year old that ultimately when ferris bueller's day off came out it seemed less like a comedy to me and more like a documentary film of my <laughs> four weeks that i'd spend there that were just filled with going to the cubs games sitting in the bleachers stealing beers from the bleacher bums mm -hmm. Um, just running around the Art Institute of Chicago and inhaling every deep dish pizza and ribs at Carson's that I could do. It was just like America was just an overwhelming buffet and I was ready to eat my fill. Well, I'm glad you didn't go in the winter. I lived in Chicago in the <laughs> 80s myself and uh, my God, you would have never experienced anything like that before. So. Yes, and, and wonderful, uh, but, you know, back to the romance, Elisa Marie, I, I thought you were at your best um, as far as the narrative goes. When you're talking about your romances, that's what really surprised me about this book. I also really enjoyed the short chapters. It's a breezy read. It took me two sittings to finish. I, again, I, I just love that era that you're talking about in the UK. It's an era that I enjoyed, and I've forgotten a lot of, you know, what you recount here, how you categorize the, the UK as a television in those days, the three channels as grim and grimmer. <laughs> Yeah, Grim mean, and Grimmer. Watched, we, we watched um, the biggest shows in England were EastEnders, which was about working class misery in London. There was Coronation Street about working class misery in Manchester, Brookside, <laughs> working class misery in Liverpool. And the value proposition of those was, dear viewer, you think your life is crap? Wait till you see how awful these human beings' lives are, then shut up and stop your moaning. Mm -hmm. And then you watch these American shows. Oh, my God. The Love Boat, Heart to Heart, incredible stuff. Dallas, Dynasty, where the problems of life are about having too much money, too mm -hmm. many oil wells, too many fur coats, and not knowing what to spend it on. And it just, everything seemed to be lived in glorious technicolor right. in America at the time rather than in black and white. And again, that is the, the power of the idea of America. I mean, that is very different to the reality of America, which obviously I've come to know and love and, and grapple with um, as, and now as an American citizen. But the book really tried to set out step by step 
how that how just how powerful that idea of America can be to those challenged around the world. Yes, and it was a different era, and it really was sort of shocking to read the the violence that that the teachers inflicted on students when they didn't behave. It's it was a different era, <laughs> you know, and it was. it was pretty brutal. It was. I had no. So I went to a, a school that now is like a grey gardens, just a physical violence and sadism and and just crazy old English men beating the crap out of poor English students. <laughs> and I, I did an interview the other day. I can't remember what day it is now or who was doing the interview, but they asked me if I knew when when corporal punishment, being able to physically um, um, cane students when that was outlawed in England. I had no idea. So I was just like, yeah, sure, like 1980-something maybe. And they were like, no, I think 2000. And so it was just normal, mate. It was just like a normal way of life to come home absolutely thrashed by your teacher. And your parents would just say, oh, you were naughty again, were you, love? And, um, yeah, it's a different, I mean, it almost feels like my education was from a Dickens novel. Mm -hmm. It's true. And in another life, you may have been called a King Rod Rock. I may have, you know, been calling you that at, at this point. So, Oh, mate, it's, um, yeah, you watch Run DMC, these Hollis Queens, this delirious trio, just deliver music that made what you were listening to, like the Smiths, just mm -hmm. seem passive in comparison and you do, you dream, you, I mean, you, you hear their beatboxing on Raising Hell and you spend night after night trying to learn how to beatbox, which was largely just spitting into your bedroom mirror. Mm -hmm. And uh, you do, you take on a persona that's different. The Beastie Boys, uh, ultimately in the book, swept England, the License to Ill album was faintly audible everywhere. And they came over and it is the climax of the book, a famous concert they gave in Liverpool. Yes. Yeah. on that tour which led to a riot and tear gas and ad rock being arrested which is one of the most definitive of my my life mm -hmm. i thought the funniest passage in the book was when the rugger buggers met your dad your rough and tumble friends had to meet your dad and sort of clean up themselves or at least present themselves it's sort of naked without those tough accents and <laughs> i just love that passage it was such a very human moment you're a very generous interviewer and a very kind man. But, you know, my mates, like many across America, you know, when you're with your mates, you put on a whole act of being tough and exactly. hard and unbelievable. Especially and in rough and tumble Liverpool. My goodness. Yeah, there you, was no you, place you tougher. Where, where did you grow up? Manchester. Yeah, Not so Manchester. an easy place to grow up either. Yeah, Bloody Manchester, noses it all the time. I mean, every day. Man yeah, Manchester, half an hour away from Liverpool, but it felt like another world. Like That felt like a foreign land to me. Manchester, man, I went there as I like walking into a Star Wars cantina. I didn't understand any of it. And so that's it. You survive by pretending to be what you're not, which is super tough, super hard. And you know, when you meet somebody like my father, who is uh, quite a, uh, a dominant figure, it strips away the kids' pretenses for a second and they were revealed for what they truly are, which is just confused teens, a bit like me. Right. And it is rather hilarious. As you'll understand, my God, Manchester, man. Manchester to Portland, now that's a story. Well, I, I tell you, it's a long story. We don't have time for it, but, I, you know, it's. <laughs> I'm just glad I'm here. And that's what I love about talking to immigrants. We're just so happy just to even exist in this country. And also, back in the day, my father, Jewish man, he always told me that it wasn't good to be, it wasn't always looked 
in a favorable light to be Jewish in the UK at that point. And you talk about that, that Jewish room, which very <laughs> funny passages in the book. I really enjoyed the, the comment about the Jewish room. And uh, when you reference it again, it really, it, it's a great punchline. Thank you. That is, a, uh, again, every day uh, in my school, the whole school would go to chapel. Um, and people who were not um, of the Church of England persuasion had to sit in a room which was called Jewish room, uh, where we had to sit upright for an hour in total silence. And again, if you spoke or moved, you'd be thrashed by a teacher. And that was it. That was our education. That was Jewish room. It was a deeply meaningful, wonderful a slightly punitive experience and uh, all these formative things, you never forget them. They do shape you. Mm. Um, and then you try and move on and use them for the force of good. So I do have to wrap up this interview. I don't have much time with you, but it felt right from the beginning that you were destined to come to the United States. I also felt like England was destined to beat Germany yesterday. I don't know if you felt that, but I felt like it felt like destiny to me. I don't know why. Well, you, you, that's very lovely. We can agree on that after the game now that we both felt like that. But having been traumatized over and over in For my 50 youth, plus I years. Clear. Right. Yeah, I, ride, I ride with Team America now. You know, I, I rise and fall with the American men, the American women. That, that's what makes me genuinely happy. But it's a wonder the last litany of Englishness, I guess, that I have in my body is it's still an incredible pleasure to watch France crap the bed, uh, to watch Germany lose. I mean, it gives me... Schadenfreude, yes. And, I, and I'm delighted. I genuinely am delighted for the people of England. Their lockdown has been incredibly difficult. They have, they have really suffered. And to watch them have delirious memories, to defangate multi-generational trauma on the football field, <laughs> and to celebrate it by ripping off their shirts, letting their bellies fly, throwing their beers in the air, I mean, and if you don't love that, you're against happiness. It's like the 60s all over again for UK soccer. Reborn in the USA by Roger Bennett, an Englishman's love letter to his chosen home. This made me feel very patriotic as an American and an Englishman. I really identified oh. with this book in so many ways. I cannot even express in words how much it means to me that you wrote this book. Thank you. I'm really, really grateful. I love your city of Portland. Go Thorns. Adore the football oh, great. culture there. I love the, the culture culture there. You can review this on Amazon. Make sure to do that. <laughs> Still you. waiting thank for you, my approval for that, for that review, but it's a glowing review. It's a great book. Thank you again. Thank you. And thank you for listening to the Portland Podcast. I'm your host, Gregory Day. Thanks for tuning in. If you'd like to contact me directly, you can reach me at greg at pdxpodcast.com. Thank you so much for listening to this local show produced by me. We're a very, very small operation. You could not get smaller. It's one person. I really do appreciate the fact that you're listening. It really means a lot to me. And feel free to reach out. We'll be back with a brand new episode very shortly. See you then.